रोशनी का कारवा दिस पॉडकास्ट इज ब्रॉट टू यू बाय बैरियर ब्रेक सॉल्यूशंस प्राइवेट लिमिटेड एंड स्कोर फाउंडेशन Hi my name is George Abraham and welcome to Iway Conversations I have with me my colleague Shilpi Kapoor Hi Shilpi Hi George how are you doing today Good good Our guest today is uh, Neil Milliken from the UK He is an accessibility advocate Hi Neil welcome Hi there good to be with you Neil I've been following you on Twitter for a few years now and I've seen you passionately pushing accessibility as an agenda tell us how you got interested and involved with accessibility goodness so i've been working in the field of assistive technology since 2001 um i'm dyslexic i have adhd it runs in the family so i i i had been working in sort of e-commerce up until that time and um ended up working for a small company in Cambridge UK that was specializing in technology for dyslexia and uh found it fascinating i i fell into my niche and um worked there for about 10 years ran their operations ran a startup for them around mobile assistive tech and then went to work for uh Siemens which is a large company um delivering assistive tech to one of their accounts the BBC which is the UK's national broadcaster so uh, and then they got Siemens IT got bought by Atos about 10 years ago and I I've been there ever since and have uh, gradually sort of expanded the role of accessibility to uh, and, and my remit and the team to 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 run that for for the group as a whole So I'm a user of assistive tech so I use um speech recognition sometimes text to speech um planning tools um uh, so I have uh, as they say skin in the game uh, so it means something to me and and, and of course uh, it's important for people all around me and my customers and I can I know how important it is but also accessibility is 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 not just a sort of technical issue it's a social justice issue it's, it's a fairness issue it's a it's a sustainability issue uh, and and so all of these things you know sort of come together um in the work that I do and that I'm trying to promote to to really sort of uh, I'm trying to get it onto the sort of top table agenda for for businesses not just for my own but for our customers and for others and and you know, and 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 that means that we have to collaborate and and that's why I'm on platforms like Twitter I'm on you know LinkedIn and other places and and why I'm really passionate about coming out and speaking to people what is the kind of level of um, employment of people with disability in 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 the corporate world that you have been exposed to the numbers are really unreliable in one country you you may be set quotas so for example in France and Germany and Spain that you're required to employ a certain percentage of your workforce as as people with disabilities 
Um, and then they also need to have a certain sort of classification of level of disability and all of this kind of stuff. In the UK, it's, it's totally different um, in that we have non-discrimination legislation and you know, no quotas. So, so those kind of things are, are make it really difficult to get a, a true picture. Um, I think that the, what we do and what we're encouraging others to do and, and, and lots of leading multinationals are doing is, is actually working on self-identity and a culture because um, there are an awful lot of people employed in our organisation and others that, that have disabilities that don't declare it. And there are lots and lots of reasons why they don't declare it. So that's not me trying to uh, escape from saying what the numbers are. Uh, I, I think, you know, they, it varies between sort of three and seven or eight percent, which is half of what it should be if we think that 15 to 20 percent of the global population are people with disabilities. But then, you know, we have this huge undeclared uh population within businesses and, and particularly with um, invisible disabilities and hidden disabilities. I used to joke that I was the most senior person in our company with a disability, but I was certainly the, the most senior one that had, was open about it. And, and I think changing that culture of, of openness is, is really important because it sends a signal to the rest of the workforce. So, so we, we've changed that now. We, we have senior executive sponsors that are out there talking about their own lived experience. And I think that that cultural change helps a lot. It helps us attract candidates. You've still got the challenge that many of the recruitment systems deployed by most of the major firms are provided by companies that don't provide fully accessible systems. So uh, there are lots of barriers for assistive technology users. There are lots of barriers for neurodivergent people like me because forms are my bête noire. Yeah, I, I just can't stand filling in forms. They're, they're awful. They create anxiety. Um, and so those are, you know, those are barriers to even getting to the interview process. So I think that, that as companies start looking at new ways of evaluating uh employee potential employee performance we will find that we're able to attract a much wider uh, talent pool of, of disabled employees what are some of the strategies that you have adopted uh, neil um, that have met with success uh, you know this would be something that i think we would be able to uh, uh, also take up in india we've been training our hr people around neurodiversity we've been running internships uh, so we've, we've started uh, a number of internships uh, around neurodiversity uh, making sure that we can make those kind of adjustments um, we obviously uh, are continuing our work to provide adjustments for our employees and i think the other thing is it's not just about recruitment it's about retention right. because um Let's remember that most people acquire their disabilities and weren't born with them and that we acquire them within our working lifetime. So one of the areas where we've had our largest successes, um, but we still need to do more work on, is, is actually in, in improving our workplace accommodations or adjustments and making them easier to get hold of and 
um, putting together centralized funding. So um, whilst there are legal requirements to do this, the, the, the processes and the, the, the signposting of it can always be improved. And by removing the requirement for the individual line manager to pay for it out of their budget, that also removes quite a lot of resistance. Because in most companies, there's always a pressure on line managers for their budgets. Um, you know, they've got to meet targets and so on. And, and if, if those targets are tight, uh, £2,000 on assistive tech might be the difference between them meeting their target and not. And, and it's unfair on both the, the manager and the employee to be counting that in those targets. So so removing that and, and, and putting that elsewhere and, and funding that centrally um, not only makes it much easier because there's, you never get any objections when you're spending someone else's money um, and, and the employees get it a lot quicker. And I think that, that those are some of the things we're doing we're moving to a model where we actually just make the assistive tech available in our company portal uh, and, and then monitor. Um, and if people aren't using it, we remove it. If the, um, because if you need it, you're going to use it. Therefore, you, you get it quickly. Um, and if you don't use it, you probably don't need it. So, um, and, and, and if you do need it again, you can download it again. So, but, but this way, um, we're, we're speeding up the process um, and at the same time, not incurring a bill for thousands of people installing it um, that never use it because you know, sometimes people get curious. If you know of anyone with vision impairment who needs guidance on living life with blindness, please share the Iway National Toll Free Helpline number 1800. Zero zero five three two zero four six nine. The number is one eight zero zero five three two zero four six nine. In countries like Germany, Spain, and France that you mentioned, uh, they are hiring people with disability uh, more because it is uh, mandatory. And in the UK, uh, uh, I was not very clear why people are kind of compelled to hire people with disability. But, uh, uh, you know, the problem we have in India is that they look at it as more of a, a, a social nicety to have people with disability in the workforce. Uh, from what I hear, uh, there is a reluctance to hire even in, even in your part of the world. Is that correct? Those attitudes are changing. I think, I think that... that at the top level corporate level now, there are a lot of large organizations where the leaders in these organizations have understood that actually diversity includes disability, that diversity uh, of experience helps organizations be more resilient, have better ideas, avoid groupthink, uh, avoid stagnation, and, and that therefore um, this is a core strategic topic. So even though we are not compelled in the UK to employ a certain number of disabilities, we're just compelled not to discriminate. Um, there is a recognition that actually there's a benefit for the organisation. And, 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 and so a lot of the work that we've been doing over the years is to actually talk about uh, how disability is an innovation trigger. If we look at all of the tech that we're using, 
today, you know, um, my smart speaker, that's built on the foundations of assistive tech. It's speech recognition, it's text-to-speech. Um, you know, the, the stuff on my, on my mobile phone is sort of, that enables me to uh, capture business cards is optical character recognition, but it's also helping me with my ADHD because it's putting stuff straight into my, um, into my contacts so that I don't lose it and I don't get it wrong. So, so all of this technology, we're, we're, people with disabilities are either inventing it or the, the reason for the invention of it or they're early adopters of this tech. So, so it's understood now, I think, within quite a lot of companies that, that by engaging with disability, you're getting an early view of how people are going to use tech. So I, I think that, that people are, are beginning to understand the advantage. And then there are simply stats that, that show that, that actually the, the sort of churn rate among disabled employees is lower. Therefore, you're paying less to recruit new people, that, that you get great loyalty to the organization. And, and we're, you know, no less productive. <laughs> so so I, I, I think we're, we're slowly eroding those kind of old-fashioned stigmas. But, yes, there are still quotas in countries and, and entrenched attitudes that take time and sometimes generations to, to change. I think what we see with the younger generations is that, that this is taken as a given. You know, there's an expectation that, of course, you include people that 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 everybody has value and and so i think that that i'm pretty hopeful for for the future that that this is a an issue that is going to recede as people um come into decision making positions that have always grown up with an attitude of inclusion i love how you said neil that you know it's about the innovation that's coming together you know because of this community um, and, uh, you know, I, I love that you said about the centralized budgets and centralized tools of because I think you're right in saying, I think George was alluding to this, when companies are resistant to hire, it's about the cost associated with it, right? And it's about how am I going to pay for this assistive technology? So I think you've given a fabulous answer out there for companies to take a much more macro view rather than a very micro view of hiring uh, people with disabilities. And I think, at least from an India perspective, I think that is a conversation that, you know, should be, and it also has Sintel in India, right? Uh, and 35,000 employees in India, we're recruiting another 15,000 this year. So, um, and we intend to recruit, recruit uh, people with disabilities amongst those recruits. So, I mean, there's an explicit desire for us to do that. So just putting that out. Um, but but I, I also think that there's this, this argument that it costs too much. It costs us 14 times as much as the average cost of the adjustment or the accommodation in recruitment fees alone to replace an employee. Perfectly said. And a number that nobody thinks about. So yes. perfectly said, right? And uh, George, we have to change that conversation for corporate India. Yes. Right? That's the conversation that we have to shift towards, right? When you listen to Neil and, you know, over the years, every time I've spoken to him, so these nuggets that he gives me, uh, which make me go back and think about how, 
this has to happen. And I think these are the things that we need to take back to corporate India for sure. Well, we're in the we're in the middle of what they call the Great Resignation right now. Everybody's got fed up of of staring at the screen for <laughs> years on end and not going anywhere, and they're thinking about what they want to do in their lives. So they're quitting and finding a job where they stare at the same screen but with different people, and um, that has a cost to companies because they're having to recruit. So this is why I said that retention is so important because the re- being able to retain even an extra 5% of your employees is going to have a significant impact on your bottom line. So, so all of these things um, really add up to far more than we're paying in terms of making the, the, the adjustments or the accommodations. So, so once that's understood and once you've trained your CFO to understand that there are, you know, they need to look at two lines on the budget. So, so the, 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 the small amount of spending on, on the one line is actually having a positive impact on the, the spending on a different line of the budget. And once they've made that link, then I think that, that, that they're quite happy to, to sign it off and, and to buy into it. So, so I, I, I do think that having a, a sort of an understanding of, of business and operations is really important for um, accessibility advocates. You know, there are a lot of HR people in India who say we want to hire, but we don't get qualified people with disability. Uh, is that something that you hear in the UK as well? It, it is a challenge, right? So that the because the the pipeline of um, talent starts much earlier, right? So um, so so this is um, an area where we need to be looking at the education system as well. You know, we need to make sure that people with disabilities get access to education. So so there are times where it is difficult to find qualified candidates. So, so then we need to be finding ways to upskill people. Right? So, that, so, so there is a, a need to, to, um, to, un, to, to understand that businesses require skills. You can't just take on people as charity cases because that perpetuates the charity model. And, and we don't want handouts. We want people to acquire skills, be self-supporting, to contribute to society, to be taxpayers, to be, you know, all of these things, right? Great, an ecosystem of, uh, of inclusion. Uh, and, and so whilst I work in business, I'm very much supportive of, of sort of digital skills initiatives that can help um, train people so that we can create this pipeline of credible, qualified candidates. Which leads us to, let's hear about the apprenticeship program mm. that mm. you have worked on along with a lot of other companies. I yeah. think that would be a good lead into that. Yeah, okay. So um, we, we were struggling to find accessibility people. Uh, I think this is a struggle that everyone has, and, and I know you do good work on training too. But um, in the UK, for sure, we were struggling to recruit people and um, there is a structured apprenticeship program in the UK, which for lots of types of jobs where large companies pay in a tax and that levy then goes to fund the education. So we, a few years back, started taking on apprentices and we had to sort of tack on accessibility to software development apprenticeships. 
Um, but those apprentices have been great. Um, it's been a really very positive experience for us. And, um, and as part of that, we thought, well, actually, we need to go one step further. And, and so there was a sort of duality of things that I wanted to do. One was accessibility wasn't really recognized as a profession anywhere. You know, we had the IAAP, which we're very supportive of, and I know you're heavily engaged with as well. Um, but in the UK, it wasn't really recognized by government. So, so by creating a, an, a, a, an apprenticeship standard, which is, has to be signed off by the UK Department for Education, uh, you have to create an occupational profile and that gets recognized. So essentially, whilst we were both creating a, a framework to train people up, we were also putting into the government's strategic um, planning processes the recognition that accessibility is an occupation and therefore that it's, it's now something that they have to strategically plan for because now they need to be thinking about, well, how do we build a pipeline of skills because there's an occupation here that, that we've recognized that, that then uh, becomes validated and starts percolating into their planning. So, so that, that was something that, that was in the background of my head when we were thinking about it. And we um, took about three years to get this done as a collaborative group of people. We had support from Barclays, Shell, RNIB, AbilityNet, BBC, uh, microlink and some really small companies like hex design as well and it's really important uh, as part of the apprenticeship creation that it shouldn't just be for large companies so it's a mixture of on the job and sort of course-based learning and as a result of that um, people get taught key accessibility skills they get taught about how to do customer service how to uh, understand disability um, the foundations around WCAG and all of the different standards and regulations and how to make a cogent argument and how to deal with difficult project managers and all of this kind of stuff. So, so at, at the end of it, they'll come out and they'll be far better at accessibility than me. And, and, and that's the intent because for most of the people that are in the accessibility profession that are of my age or older, and there are a lot of us that are in our 40s and 50s. Um, this has come as a second career and we've acquired stuff as we've gone along and we've, we have, the whole accessibility profession has pretty much been bootstrapped. Uh, and, and now to, to have frameworks for training and so on, and, and so, uh, it, it's important for, for that next generation. I'm really, really excited about apprenticeships because we think the likelihood is that when we start with the first official cohort next year, there'll probably be about a hundred, maybe more. So, we, um, which, which, if you think about it, is is a significant addition to the <laughs> to the profession. And if we do this every year, then then um, you know it's going to really spread the skills and, and make for a wider talent pool. And and these skills are also transferable between other sort of technology professions. To support our work with the blind and visually impaired, you can visit the donate page on our website www.scorefoundation.org.in. Please note www.scorefoundation 
www.ohs.org.in I was also wondering, uh, since you have been working in the accessibility space for so long, uh, have you, you know, a lot of people talk about universal design and, uh, you know, companies that work and who are in the uh, economy, uh, do they actually, uh, when they provide products and services, is there a thought uh, that the products and services need to also cater to people with disabilities. I know that Apple and Microsoft and the companies that, that have products which are uh, which are inclusive and uh, universal in nature. Uh, but generally as a culture in say Europe, uh, have you seen any drift towards this universal design? So uh, I, I, I have. I mean, I, I think that there is a, a, a greater awareness that we need to be designing inclusive products. I, I think they, sometimes the challenge with semantics is that universal means that every single product must work for everyone. And, and we know that actually that can be a challenge, right? Because disability in itself is diverse. So, so, so uh, you know, taking an inclusive design approach is really important. Like teaching that is super important. If I'm honest, there's an awful lot of technology that that is a not inclusively designed, but just really badly designed anyway. So, from a cognitive accessibility and usability point of view, they've just forgotten to do design because they've done tech. Um, so, so I think that the there is still a good deal of you know work to be done on on the maturity of design thinking as a whole and that we embed inclusivity into design thinking and get it into the courses and everything else so some of the stuff that I've been passionate about when I've been doing some work with the Institute of Coding which is a UK uh, initiative around technical and technology skills is to try and start getting accessibility elements embedded into all of these technical courses because it it's it should be something that is not an elective it needs to be something that's sort of foundational in our technology and our design education that that, that then becomes the norm you think about this at the beginning you know, much like we do with security. And, and I think that if we look at the relative maturity of, of our um, our sort of career groups, if you like, our professions, you know, security has followed a similar path. Um, accessibility is lagging behind on that, but we started later, maybe. Um, I, and, I, and I think that um, you know, the security guy used to be the person that, that came in at the end of the project and said, no, you can't go live and all of these things are broken. And by the way, it's going to cost you X. And, and we've been a bit like that in the accessibility industry. You know, we, we've been at the, the right of the project, you know, at the, at the end point, we're, we're checking for it too late in the process and we need to shift left in the process, get much earlier, get to the designers, get to the people that are even before that. Yeah, we need to be getting into the heads of the people that are, uh, you know, requesting the products and services. So, uh, uh, forgive me if I sound like I'm I'm boiling the ocean, but we we, we essentially have a, a a PR job to do and a, a communications job. So, so a, a lot of what I focus on doing is trying to to work on getting that understanding out there as to the benefit to society the benefit to business of thinking about including this right from the very beginning rather than it being a compliance exercise 
of course we do compliance, of course we do auditing, of course we do all of these checking and, and everything else. Those things still need to happen, but you know, I want to leave that to the people that have been taught to do that really well, um, like our apprentices and, and like the people at Barrier Break, that, 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 and, and, and then work with great communicators like Caroline Casey and others that are really making that case for thinking about it right from the beginning and, 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 and making it embedded into just the way we do things. As they say, uh, when you, everything comes back to the beginning, which is thick diversity, operate diversity, and execute diversity. And uh, uh, so uh, I think, Neil, uh, uh, you've been, uh, you've, you've thrown light on several very interesting areas uh, in terms of uh, uh, disability inclusion and accessibility. And it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you very much, Shilpi uh, and you, uh, Neil. Neil, and uh, wish you all the best. You're very welcome. Thank you. This podcast was brought to you by Barrier Break Solutions Private Limited and SCORE Foundation. Yeah, I don't